At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. Thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name really is Rob Snow White, and this is the Mid-Atlantic Striper Podcast, which is brought to you by our good friends at Solo Stove. Cicadas are up and out of the ground. They are climbing up the trees, and they are getting ready to fly. Any moment, you're going to want to have cicada flies. I've tied about a 1,000 so far, and you can find those for sale on my Etsy site. That's at robsnowway.com or in my link tree on my social media. I love my solo stove. We're planning to hang out by it tomorrow until those cicadas start to emerge at dusk and start climbing up people's legs. So why do I love my solo stove? Well, first, it's portable. I can put it in its own stuff sack, stick it in the back of one of the cars, and drive it wherever I need to go. There's no smoke, so my clothes don't stink like a Neanderthal's loincloth. It's hypnotic. You'll end up staring at those flames dancing inside the tube instead of conversing with your friends. And there isn't much cleanup. Everything pretty much burns off to a dusty powder. So solo stoves are designed simply. They're ingenious outdoor products that help you create good moments that become lasting memories. From camp stoves and virtually smokeless fire pits to grills, they have you covered. Good moments, good memories, good products. So you can create a good life. Visit my social media or click on robsnowwhite.com. Every purchase you make through my website or social media is going to help me, a small business owner, with a very small business. So this podcast is about Mid-Atlantic and Eastern Shore Stripers with Evan Dintman. He's a landscape architect that works on designing school campuses across the country. He's been in D.C. for almost nine years. Evan and his wife reside in Maryland. He fishes for over 150 days a year. And we're going to learn about his fishing story right now. All right. So we have Evan with us. Uh, 
Do you want to introduce yourself, and have you ever been told you look like somebody famous? Yeah, I figured you might ask me that question. I've listened to some of your other podcasts, and to be honest, I somebody once told me I look like somebody on uh, Friday Night Lights, but I don't watch that, so I, I can't tell you. But I'm blonde hair, blue-eyed. You can log on to DC Flyfish on Instagram and take a look at what I look like. I always thought you looked like Jesse Plemons a bit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard that one. That's that's the guy from Friday Night Lights. Oh, okay. Is that who he is? Yeah, I don't watch Friday Night Lights, so you've put a name to the I binge watched to the it character Christmas when there was no one around. Yeah, so so I guess I, I look like what, what was his Jesse name? Plemons. D- Jesse Plemons. Jesse uh, Plemons. We'll go with that. But my name's Evan Dintman. I live here in the Washington D.C. metro area, up in Maryland. Uh, met Rob through TPFR several years back. Just thrilled to be on the podcast. So where'd you grow up? So I grew up outside of Philadelphia in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, did a lot of, when I was young, I did a lot of fishing with my brother, mostly spin fishing, you know, creeks, Brandywine Creek for some who might know the area. Um, Battle the Jer- Brandywine? Yeah. Yep. Jersey Shore, mostly South Jersey beaches and Marsh Creek State Park. Some people might know, uh, fish there a lot um, and only started fly fishing once I was in like uh, college because I went to college at Penn State so okay. you, you kind of have to fly fish if you go to college at Penn State. Yeah you, you would have noticed the Ohio State flag hanging. Yeah I know I know it, we've it talked down. about this in right. the past but it's I married all into it. <laughs> oh yeah. And okay. then Justin Fields good for him. Trey Sermon just got picked up by Broncos I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah man. Yeah. So do you ever fish while you're in class at all? Oh yeah oh yeah. There'll probably be some of my buddies like listening to this podcast but i used to we used to be in class together some of my fly fishing buddies and i'd try to get them to duck out early with me and some would some wouldn't but uh, i was such a nerd i was in the library so much we lived on the rappahannock maybe three minute drive yeah so you probably regret not going as much as you could or never fish for shad during the school year maybe once yeah and then it wasn't until i guess junior year i lived down there for the summer so we would fish all the time, my roommate Gary and I. Yeah. I bumped into him on the Occoquan last oh, year. Oh, yeah? Sweet. That was a little surprise. I haven't seen him since he moved out of – so my wife moved into the apartment, and then he kind of moved out like a month later, 20 years ago. Oh, wow. I've and not you, seen him. You haven't seen him in like years and years? No, and That's... everyone called me Norm in college when you called me by my real name, so I definitely didn't recognize I him. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I've been – because of the a river runs through it. We saw that like the second day of college and people are like, oh, we'll call you Norm. <laughs> nice. I would sign my paper as just Norm. And that's so your, your all. professors that's all... knew you as Norm? and everything. I think yeah. so. Yeah. That's awesome. Or we'd just call it, would go with it. Yeah. It was, it was weird. To think about how I was known for four years as Norm and no one calls me that anymore. I would still probably answer that. Still. All right. Place. I'll keep that in the back yeah. of my head. Were you around Westchester during the Bam Margera crazy days? Totally. Yeah, I was talking about that this weekend with my brother because, like, Steve-O has a podcast now that I listen to some, and it's hilarious. But, yeah, I, I grew up when they were, you know, filming in downtown Westchester, jackass stunts, and I'm skateboarding all around. So I wouldn't say I knew the guys. They definitely didn't know who I was. But, you know, you'd see them on the street. They were, uh, they were around when I was growing up. All before social media. Pretty much, they yeah. All, that would be pretty bad if they were all sharing that stuff now. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. But I think the fact that they were in it, you know, they got in before YouTube and before social media is the reason they got so big. Because yeah. I'm sure there were people all over the country doing what they were doing, like, as social media started. But they had already kind of they were done. created that niche, you know? They were all on, know? on crutches. And oh, yeah, by yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. 
So how'd you get into fishing? Who, who put a rod in your hand? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, my, my dad and my brother. But my brother really, like, my brother has the passion for fishing that I have. He doesn't go, get out as much as I do, but... He was the one that was like taking me with him all the time. He was, you know, five years older than me. So when he started driving, I, you know, he was just taking me to from fishing hole to fishing hole. But since we've kind of we've kind of split ways in what we like to fish for, my brother's like, you know, big game, deep sea, ocean, you know, if he could be catching marlin or tuna or any of that, he'd be doing that every day. Bait fishing, chunking, that kind of stuff, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I've gone like the way of like a six-inch brook trout is pretty sweet. On top of um, the dry fly. Yeah, dry fly. fly yeah. And But I appreciate all the other stuff. You know, I catch big bluefish and big striped bass on a fly gear um, and spin gear and just love every minute yeah. of it. So. I don't get people that spin fish for shad. Yeah, yeah. It's completely different. I just don't, like, if I can catch a fish on a fly rod, that's how I prefer to do it. Right. And shad are, like, quintessential fly rod fish. Like, they're they're willing. They put up a good fight. You know, you don't have to go far to find them. Yesterday, so. my clients were saying, all right, where to cast? And I did the thing right. Pick up a rock, and I throw it in, and say right there, and then I laid it out. It swam, or swung maybe two feet, and then I was onto a hickory. Boom, yep. I was like, see, these fish don't yeah. care. Yeah, when you, when you find where they are, it's like every cast. Yeah. and. And with the current going, you don't even have to be a good caster. You can just roll out there, let the current swing you Arts down. Dip and, and wiggle. Yeah, is that yeah, nice? The dip and wiggle. The dip and wiggle. And we were the only ones fishing yesterday. It was all snakehead snaggers. Yeah. Just everywhere. And no snakeheads. Yeah, not yet. I haven't seen many yet. At least getting snagged. I want to get a snakehead on a cicada. You're going to have to take me out snakehead yeah. fishing. You wouldn't believe that I haven't caught a snakehead on the fly rod yet. Burke Lake. So. Yeah, is that the spot? It's 15 minutes that way. All right. The Lake Braddock is just past that tree line. There's snakeheads in there, but it's private. I do have yeah. permission to fish there. That's sweet. And there's an orange koi like that big. You'll do that Wednesday. Yeah. All right, so your, your uh, brother helped you out fishing. Yep. And then you got your license, and I'm sure everything changed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got my license and started, you know, my brother went off to college, and I was still, like, hopping around all the local fishing spots. Um, actually, when I was 16, I went and hiked in the Rocky Mountains, like a 10-day trip with my dad and some other guys, part of the, the Boy Scouts. I was in the Boy Scouts growing up. And I took a fly rod. This was the first time I ever fly fished, but we had to like keep our pack under 50 pounds and like a spin rod with all the gear and stuff would have put me over the weight. So I went out and bought a cheap fly rod and was like, I'm going to fish while we're hiking through the Rocky Mountains knew nothing about fly fishing. Luckily, the, the fish proved to not care too much. And I caught my first fly rod fish when I was 16, having never held a fly rod before, just like poking around little mountain streams in the Rocky Mountains. Nice. And then uh, in college, I got a chance to live in New Zealand. And that's when I, when I really like I studied abroad there. And that's when I really started like getting interested in fly fishing. But much like you were saying, living on the Rappahannock or near the Rappahannock, not fishing as much. Like when I was in New Zealand, I, I drank more than I fished. And that was, you know, a regret of mine. I wish I did a lot more fishing when I was there. But Was the beer that good? <clears throat> no, it was just, I was in that time of my life where right. I was like, you know, going out on the weekends instead of waking up at 6 a.m. and uh, hitting the river. So yeah. if I had a choice now between party and fish, it's fish. Fish every day, man. Yeah, yeah totally. I just drink way too much iced tea. I feel like that um, that dude from Duck Dynasty. Not iced tea I drink. Nothing wrong with it. No. It's good iced tea, too. Yeah, man. It's lemon zinger and black tea. 
good stuff. And we have the aroma of, uh, what is that tree? It's not hyacinth, it's a lilac tree. Yeah. So we get a little bit of aroma coming in. Nice. Yeah, man. So which island were you on in New Zealand? I lived on the southern tip of the North Island in the capital city, Wellington. Mm -hmm. And spent most of my time on the North Island because it was like a ferry ride across to the South Island and I was too poor to buy plane tickets. So I spent most of the time on the North Island and did like a big South Island trip where we spent like three weeks down there and did all the South Island stuff. The South Island is where people like, you know, sight fish a lot for like the big browns on dry flies and things. But where I fished, I fished like the Taupo. People that know New Zealand will probably recognize like Lake Taupo. I fished like the little tributaries that run into Lake Taupo uh, with a guide. And that was like the first real introduction to like legit fly fishing. And it was a blast. And I haven't really looked back since then. When did you first hear about Joe Humphreys? Yeah, I mean, Penn State has the, you know, the fly fishing class, which I did take. I tried selling um, that idea to Northern Virginia Community College. And they weren't having it? They were like 10 years ago, but things have changed in the last couple of years. Yeah. Just like, you're 10 years too late. I was like, I was sitting behind a desk 10 years ago. 11. 11 yeah, I mean, the, the, class was, the class was awesome. I mean, getting credit to learn to fly fish and learn how to cast and tie flies and all that was, was awesome. And I think, you know, I think around when I learned about the class was when I started learning about Joe Humphreys and, you know, fishing the same streams he fished and trying to tie and fish the same patterns he liked. So, yeah. Sweet. What brought you down here? Either job, relationship, or grad school? Well, you can get a guess. Take a guess. Well, you're newly married. Yeah, right? so, yeah. It was relationships. It's the world's smallest handcuff. <laughs> so I, yeah, I lived in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where my first job was out of college, which is a lot of good fly fishing in Harrisburg too. You have the Latour, Yellow Breaches, Big Spring, uh, tons of smallmouth fishing. All the stories about how great it was back in the day. Yep. That's where, where, where it seems like anywhere you go, they always say, oh, it was so good 10, 15, 20 years ago. But yeah, my, my wife at the time, girlfriend works for the federal government and she was in DC and had a better job than I had and a more secure job than I had. So it was me, it was my choice to, it was either like, come, you know, come to me or yeah. So I, I moved down here probably nine, I guess nine years ago now. Right so, yeah. And she fishes. I've seen the pictures. Yeah. She comes out with me sometimes. She's a really good fly caster. She's really good at fishing, but just, you know, she, she's a runner and she would rather do other things in her oh, free time. I don't get running. <laughs> I don't either, but what she does, she'll go out for a four-hour run. I'll go out for a four-hour fish, and we'll, yeah. Kalina Sauna punched me in the nose. <laughs> I did not running this punishment. She's probably going to listen to this, but. Uh. I, I have friends who swear by Like, our friend, her boss would run a mile for every year he was born. So, at one point, he had to do 60-something miles on the That's Sino awesome. Canal. And she was there yeah. along him the whole way. Like, in one, like yeah. one go of it. He was doing That's 60 just, miles. He started at, like, 3 in the morning. That's insane. Ooh, That's insane. You. But, but yeah, so she comes out with me and she's caught striped bass on the fly. Um, I don't think I've gotten her a shad on the fly yet. But she's caught all the wild trout species, bass on the fly. She hooked a big smallmouth a couple of years ago, like 16 inch smallmouth on a three weight when we were fishing for a little trout. So yeah, she, she can 
do some damage with the fly rod. Has she been to beer tie? She came to beer tie once. Okay. I think on our holiday party, she tied up yeah. like the candy cane. Candy crane. Candy crane, yeah. So yeah, she tied the Daniel candy from crane. Orvis, I think, caught a shad on one. Oh yeah? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. But yeah. beer ties. We need to start that up. I know. Now that we're all getting vaccinated, hopefully. And but Whitlow's is gone. Yeah, I know, but we, we can find a new spot, yeah, I'm sure. Avalanche Burger was my favorite. Yeah, I know. I'm going to miss $5 burgers. Because, like, there used to be a Bar Louie near where I live. Regardless of what you think about Bar Louie, they have, like, the Tuesday night $5 burgers. And so we'd, we'd hit that every week, and they closed, you know, right before the pandemic. And hopefully these places start opening back up. And we got a new great burger joint. It's in Brunswick, Maryland, right by the train tracks. Okay. What's it called? I don't Do you remember. remember? You, great. Did you try it when you were fishing up that way? No. Or? So uh, our neighbor's mom's fiance's brother okay. just bought a 300-plus-year-old property that still has foundations from a mill on a stream in Loudoun. And we were looking for a place to eat, and someone at TPFR was talking about fishing that area. And I just said, hey, by the way, where, where do I go to eat around there? When the dude And said, they dropped you the... Yeah, we went over there, and it was like... The cow is from like five minutes away. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's the way to do it. I mean, get like local beef, and they're probably using local produce. Yeah, and that yeah awesome. that's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. My favorite burger place that I try to hit every time I either go back to Penn State or uh, fishing in the Harrisburg area is on this little island called Duncannon in the middle of the Susquehanna River. There's like a bunch of strip clubs and a Sheets and this burger place. That's what's on the island. Anybody who goes up to Penn State probably knows exactly where I'm talking about, but it's a little drive-in called Red Rabbit, and they have something called the Bunny Burger, and this is like a double-stacked burger with the crispiest thick bacon, the special sauce, sesame bun. You're killing me, man, because we're eating tofu, we're air-fried tofu and coconut rice. Well, you know. Meatless Monday. Yeah, yeah, and but then, you gotta you gotta splurge on a good burger every once in a while. I would also recommend Spelunkers out in Front Royal. Oh, yeah? That way. All right. Pretty, pretty darn good. Sweet. All right, so we're talking uh, fishing the shores? Yeah, today? shores, yeah. Chesapeake Bay. I, I think when you and right, I talked to head of north to south, maybe? Yeah, that All right. works. So Jersey Shore first? Yeah, yeah. All we right. can start in North Jersey. So, I mean, I think when we talked earlier, we were like, let's focus a little bit on some saltwater stuff, striped bass, some of the stuff you can catch while you're targeting striped bass. And I started fishing for fly fishing for striped bass when I uh, moved down to the D.C. area because I was like, there's striped bass in the Potomac, all the you know rivers and tributaries, Chesapeake Bay. And I, I found it pretty challenging at first coming from trout fishing primarily, like to learn a new species and to really like dial in and figure out how to catch striped bass. But it, at this point, you know, I can find them, you know, with pretty much. Uh, regularity. I mean, if you know where to look, you know when to look, you, you can find them. So hopefully we can give some people tips, you know, if you're coming from trout fishing or if you're, you know, spin fishermen try, wanting to, you know, get into stripers or some saltwater stuff, hopefully we can give some people tips about where to look. So when I think of striped bass, I'm always thinking about the the migration. You know, we have a bunch of striped bass that live in the Chesapeake Bay year round. And obviously there's like in Jersey, there's striped bass that live in the bays there, the back bays and rivers there year-round. But the majority of striped bass are, are migrating, you know, south to north and then back north to south. And so if you can just think about following that migration, you're going to 
give yourself the best chance to, to find striped bass. So currently the striped bass are spawning, at least the older spawning stocks. They're in the Chesapeake Bay mainly or Hudson River. Some are up in the Delaware River in the Delaware Bay. And soon, probably in the next week or so, all those fish are going to be heading out towards the ocean. And from there, they're just looking for that prime temperature range and that feeding, that feeding zone. So they're going to be following bait fish. They're going to be following like the temperatures they like, which I like to think of as like 55 degrees to 65 degrees is like what they love. So they'll be kind of passing through Jersey uh, in May and June, going through New York, June, July, and then up to New England. And then in the fall, they're doing the exact opposite. They're uh, kind of coming back down as the water cools. And then, you know, where I target them in Jersey, April, May, and June is great in the spring. And then on the back end of it, you have October, November, and even December is great in the fall. And so that's, you know, when I think of Jersey, I'm thinking, um, you know, chase that that spawning run of fish and try to hit it at exactly the right time. You're doing overnight trips or you're just getting up super early? Yeah, so sometimes I'll do a day trip, but I usually make my day trips out to like the eastern shore of Maryland. And my parents have a condo in uh, South Jersey that I use. So, you know, I will crash there at my parents' uh, condo. They're both retired, so that's their, their retirement gift to themselves. And I guess they're a fishing gift to me because I can uh, use it to crash at it on my fishing trips. I'm still upset that when my grandparents died in '97, uh, that my uncle and my mom sold the condo on the beach in West Palm. Oh man, yeah, there was, well, there was a coral I, reef right there. There was a heated pool right there, and and tons of good fishing. Yeah, yeah. We were really upset the year of the three blizzards: Snowmageddon, Snowpocalypse, Snowvechkin. That was the winter we were all texting each other complaining that we needed the condo in florida <laughs> yeah yeah I, I wanted to get down to florida this year and, and hopefully i can in the fall or, or the winter but the pandemic's definitely thrown a lot you know for a loop but but yeah all right some questions for the places you fish you sure. mentioned temperatures what about tides and moon one thing i learned fishing for striped bass early on when i was kind of cutting my teeth you know i would go out and get skunked a lot just try to keep a log of what was happening and what I was seeing. And one thing that I learned pretty quickly is striped bass just want a moving tide. You know, if, if there's no moving water where you're fishing, you're probably not going to have good striped bass action. They want either tide or current. Tide is kind of that natural flow in and out and the rising of the water. But as you know, some of the places you fish for striped bass, you know, just an outflow of a river or a creek and pr produces that current and you know, striped bass are just drawn to places that have really big tidal swings and really nice current. You know, as far as tides go, I like, you know, for different spots, I like different tides. But generally, I like the two hours before and after a slack tide, whether it's low or high. So you kind of get the end of the moving of the tide, kind of the slack period, and then the beginning of the moving of the tide. So that could be around high tide where you have like a incoming and then an outgoing or it can be around low tide where you have kind of like two hours of outgoing and then two hours of incoming when i lived in fredericksburg lunchtime was the slack area it's like all right i got 20 30 minutes to kill yeah you go home go to the bathroom hydrate make a sandwich watch some jerry springer yeah come back 
So I think a lot of people that fish for striped bass know that. Like if it's slack tide, you might as well, you know, eat your lunch, take a bathroom break yeah. or, you know, refresh. Because once that tide starts moving is when those fish will get active again. As far as moon goes, I mean, the moons and the, the moon phases and the tide are really linked. Um, so that should tell you all you need to know. Um, when you've got a new moon or a full moon, you're going to have a stronger tidal swing, which means stronger currents, longer, you know, a longer drawn out strong current, you know, sometimes that can mean better fishing for striped bass. So I, I know a lot of guys that are looking for big trophy striped bass are going to be really keyed in on those moon phases, you know, and a lot of them are fishing night. Some of them will say like, you want the new moon, so there's not a lot of bright light on the water. You Change know. your fly color during that. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, so for me, like when I'm night fishing under like a bright moon, I might use a little bit of a more natural color than I would otherwise. But really what I'm mostly concerned about is profile, something that will create a silhouette against the sky that a fish can, can see, and then also something that pushes water. So I always try to size up a little bit. Even if the bait is like two or three inches, you'll go to something that's like four you know, inches or so at night just to push a little water so the fish can find that bait a little bit easier. Some guys will swear by certain colors at night. Some guys will swear by like what they call blurple, you know, for plugs, which is like a black-purple combination in flies. That can be really good, but I've caught on white at night. I've caught on chartreuse at night. I've caught on blue, red, you know, pink, you name it. And I just haven't really seen the correlation to like color at night, more just like the size of your presentation and the amount of water it moves. Okay. What about structure? The jetties? Yeah. So in Maryland, we call striped bass rockfish and, it, and it's pretty, it, it rings true. You it know, it screws if, up my non-local clients who hook a rock and they're like, I got a rockfish and everyone turns their head. <laughs> so that's why I say we call it an igneous fish. There you go. Yeah. Igneous fish, sedimentary fish. Yeah. So they, you know, if you find a jetty, if you find a, a riprap all, along the side of a creek or side of, you know, a river or something that flows into the Chesapeake Bay or flows into, you know, anywhere that has tidal flow, there's very good chance you'll find some striped bass uh, along that structure, near that structure. I always say striped bass, like, are trying to do one of two things. They're trying to spawn or they're trying to feed. So, you know, those riprap areas, those rock jetties offer... You know, striped bass, a lot of different forage. There'll be crabs there, small fish, you know, different crustaceans, clams, oysters. You know, striped bass will eat that all. So, yeah, if I see structure, I'm definitely throwing a few casts near it. Um, but structure can also be, you know, when I fish the eastern shore of Maryland, and I know I'm jumping all around, but when I fish the eastern shore of Maryland, it's a lot of grassy tidal creeks. And you'll find fish will, will be right on the point. So if there's a curve or a bend in a, in a creek that kind of creates a point where the current kind of flows around that point, a lot of times right in that slack 
I won't call it slack water, but right in the slower water next to that current coming off a point, which I also call structure, those striped bass will be waiting to ambush you know, bait fish or, or other things, shrimp, uh, that might be kind of washing around the corner of that creek. Yeah, the only place that, you know, I don't think, or maybe not everybody would think of the word structure is like the open ocean or like, you know, fishing from the surf. But even there, you know, you're looking for sandbars, you're looking for uh, little swales where water is kind of, the tide is kind of washing back out into the into the surf. Um, and stripers will even relate to that. Anywhere they can like pin bait or get an ambush point, um, they're going to use that to their advantage. Um, you ever see them throw up something pretty cool and then put that fly on to match it? Yeah, I've never. Uh, I've baby, seen, baby bluegills at Gravelly. Yeah, you've seen that at Gravelly. This week. And I still haven't really gone there with the baby bluegill fly. Yeah, I mean, it, striped bass will eat anything, really. As far as throwing up, I mean, usually where I'm fishing, they're on a very specific bait. Usually it's like a little bait fish, you know, it could be anchovies or um, bay anchovies or little um, silver sides or something. And usually that's what they're throwing up. But I've seen them throw up like uh, sand fleas, which some people call little sand crabs that you'll find at the shore. They're apparently pretty good fried. Yeah, I've heard they're good. I, I know some guys who like, you got to wash them real well, I think, get the sand and grit out of them. But I think they taste like crab, I've heard, or shrimp, maybe. I'm allergic, so I don't know. Oh, you're allergic to shellfish? Even just, when I worked in the Keys, just smushing up chum, like, shrimp with my hands, my hands got all itchy. Oh, wow. Oh, like, yeah, wow. so you don't want to you don't want to try uh, eating them, but I've, yeah. I've heard they taste good. I don't know if I'll try it. I've seen them throw up little uh, blue crabs. <clears throat> I wouldn't be, I wouldn't put it past a striper to take a swing at, like, a baby duckling or something. I mean, they're going to eat whatever. I still swear, I, someone told me the story about once throwing up a baby bear in Maine. Really? And I've also heard lobster. Mm. Oh, yeah. They, they would probably love lobster. Yeah. Yeah. They're not... Striped bass don't seem afraid to try to eat anything. Right. Um, San Juan worms. Someone still on the Orvis blog went after me because we were swinging San Juan worms behind clousers, and they were all taking the worm and not the clouser. Yeah. The stripers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something up uh, up and down the East Coast that I haven't really seen yet seen yet myself but the cinder worm hatch yeah. have you heard of that there's the pololos in florida yeah yeah so i mean a san juan worm is a perfect imitation right. for like a, a cinder worm or something and yeah. stripers will gorge themselves on those whatever so. they can eat yeah what about riptides are you, are you waiting out or are you on the yeah the so in new jersey i'll wait out sometimes pretty deep where the, you know, you'll have breakers crashing into you and stuff. And you definitely want to take a buddy if you're doing that or go to a popular beach or something because it, it can be dangerous. You know, we've all heard all the surf fishermen out there will will have a story where they got caught in a riptide or something at night and their buddy had to cast out the plug so they could grab the fishing oh line and, and get back in. You know, the second you get your waders swamped too, filled with water, you're, you're even less. And then you're cold. Yeah, you're cold. You're, you can't swim as well. So just be really careful. You know, I do a lot of my fishing in Jersey on like the back bays, which is a lot safer. You, you don't have as strong of like a riptide and, you know, usually your footing, you don't have the breaking waves and your footing's a little better. But in, in the fall, especially when the you know fall runs coming down and all the fish are heading south and they're just feeding for winter heavily, like... You know, if there's a blitz and there's birds diving on the water just out of your casting range, you get really tempted to wade in, you know, past your comfort zone. So, you know, just be careful. Um, but, it, you know, 
get a nice pair of waders and, and a dry suit top or something, and you can get out there pretty good. And you know, so when we were at Wrightsville this past summer, I backcast and my hook landed on a woman's face. It was just kind of like resting on the peach fuzz. Didn't embed. Yeah. You ever had to worry about people behind you and yeah, other I things? I constantly, especially when I'm on like crowded beaches or you know, or even fishing somewhere like the Potomac or or something, you kind of have to keep an eye over your back and see who's coming and see who's around. Make sure you don't hook anybody. I think I'm usually paying closer attention than people give me credit for. So I've had people yell at me like when they're. 10, 20 yards away, like, I'm coming, don't cast. And I'm like, I, I know you're there. <laughs> I saw you right. 10 minutes ago coming, so I, I know you're there. And a lot of times I'll try to throw out a cast before somebody, you know, gets behind me so I don't miss out on my fishing opportunity. You know, I have to wait for them to pass. But I've also had people, like, watch me cast from a distance and then come and stand right behind me to watch me cast closer. And I'm like, didn't you see what I was doing, like you're I'm losing standing, eye. Yeah, you're standing right where I'm gonna cast. Is the wife running down the beach like Baywatch while you're fishing? No, no, she she probably wants to be as far away from me as she can at that point. You know. Do you ever do any drive on the beach spots? No, I mean I, I fish spots where people drive on the beach, but I've never taken taken my uh, SUV on the beach. Um, I do have a buddy that has a forerunner. He'll probably listen to this podcast. And I, you know, we've talked, him and I have talked about like getting a permit for his truck or something. I haven't done it yet. I think it would be a blast though. But I'll, I'll walk like two miles down the beach if I have to to get to like a spot far away from people. Yeah. I guess I could drive there, but I don't know. I'm not against, nothing against walking. It's a nice walk. So. Yeah. It's good exercise. I always need exercise. Yeah. I'm not going to complain. Okay, let's see. What do you do to protect yourself from the sun? Yeah, tons of sunscreen. I mean, look up the uh, look up my picture on uh, my Instagram, and you'll see that I need tons of sunscreen. So I wear like a really good Neutrogena, like pretty expensive sunscreen that rubs in really good, isn't oily, you know, lasts through the water. I will take a buff every once in a while, but I like get super sweaty still, and, and clammy. Yeah, you've got yours on. So I don't use a buff too much. Uh, always have a, a baseball cap on. Um, always have a really good pair of polarized sunglasses to protect my eyes from the sun. Even on a cloudy day, I'm wearing polarized lenses. And then just load up with sunscreen. Uh, I always wear like a long sleeve, uh, really nice breathable breathable shirt. Usually long long pants if I'm wet waiting. I don't wear shorts or anything when I'm wet waiting. So just try to cover as much of the skin as I can and then sunscreen everything else. What about jellyfish? you're covered up for the sun you're covered up for jellies yeah if you're wearing waders usually you're pretty good uh with jellyfish and at least if you're fishing in new jersey the jellyfish really aren't a huge problem when the stripers are around like april may and early june and then in the fall the water's getting a little cold for a lot of jellyfish it's like the middle of the summer but this year fishing the upper chesapeake bay in like september october there were more jellyfish than i've ever seen because we yeah, thousands upon thousands of jellyfish when I was kayak fishing up in uh, like the upper Chesapeake Bay for striped bass. The sea nettles. Yeah, so you got to really, you know, be careful. Uh, I was in a kayak, so just when I was like netting fish or unhooking fish or doing like a, a good release, um, just got to be careful. Take a look around you. Right. Um, in, I, New, in New Jersey, what about uh, discarded needles and other various medical waste? <laughs> Yeah. Can the hypodermic needle go through your waders? I would assume it could. I don't want to find out. I never have found out. 
I've only seen hypodermic needles a few places fishing North Jersey on, on a beach and then upper Chesapeake Bay on a beach kind of near the Baltimore area. It hasn't been an issue for me. In resting growing up, like Audubon, it was firecrackers and discarded needles. Like, yeah. That's what would wash up the windblown spot by the boat ramp. Yeah, I've seen them in the Potomac. I've seen a couple washed up, or one maybe washed up needle somewhere on the Potomac. I forget where I was. You found a kit in four mile. Like, really? Oh, yeah. Zipper bag, oh, you open it's... it up, and there's spoons and a lighter. Oh, man. I was just like, well, I thought yeah. it was a wallet, maybe I had some cash. It's been a while since Not I what you expected, no. yeah. Ugh. I didn't expect that question, though. I was, like, preparing my questions. <laughs> like, what might he ask me? I didn't expect a hypodermic needle question. Any but. barefoot wading where you got to worry about stepping on crabs? I will never wade barefoot. That's just one thing. I mean, there's a lot of irresponsible fishermen out there, along with a lot of irresponsible other people. Um, so hypodermic needles, and you got rusty fishing hooks and all this other right. stuff. Just, just don't do it. Get a nice pair of wet wading boots, or get a pair of like sandals with really hard soles, and and just wear those. We used to walk on the reef as a kid, and then I stepped on a pencil urchin, and it went like, not through my foot, but it went all yeah. the way in and then broke off. Oh man. That yeah, was bad. yeah, and you probably haven't waded barefoot since, no. or at least not a lot. I don't like the sand, so I I'll, I wear shoes to the beach. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, even like sand touching me. Yeah. Another new thing: uh, ticks apparently live in sand now. Really? Like like, uh, in? like blood sucking ticks from the rabbits and deer here. Oh my gosh! It's another thing you got to worry about. Yeah. So long pants always, even if I'm wet wading, always long pants. You can get a pair of like running socks that dry off really quickly. I sometimes will even wear socks when I'm wet wading. So, what about seagulls? They're an ornery creature. If you're taking a bite of a sandwich or something, pull out a sandwich from your waders. And... Yeah, so that's not what I worry about seagulls for. I worry about hooking them, and they get hooked a lot, especially I had one when you eat a crease fly. And I brought yeah. it. Up, I brought it in. Yeah, it was a big, dirty bird. Yep, yep. So you, you know, when you're fishing, especially for striped bass, and the striped bass are. You know, you've heard of like the word blitz, and I'm sure a lot of you guys know what a blitz is, but when the birds are diving on bait that the stripers are pushing up to the surface, and you're also trying to get in there with a topwater fly, or uh, if you're spin fishing a topwater plug, pretty easy to hook a bird that's going for your lure or your fly. And so I try to avoid it. If I see a bird like keyed in on my fly, I'll strip it in as fast as I can. Sometimes I'll shout, yell at the bird to try to not to get it, it to eat the fly. But if it does, you got to bring it in as fast as you can. You know, hold it as, as nicely as you can right behind the, the head and, and get it unhooked. And I was like the cormorant last week. Yeah, yep. Yeah, you'll hook cormorants. You'll hook pelicans if you're down south or even up you know in the chesapeake uh, so we got to be kind to the the birds that we share our fishing space with if they get tangled in your line please don't leave them to die do your best to try to get hooks out of them handle them with care you know uh we gotta I, i've seen too many dead birds on fly fishing you know trout streams with flies in their mouth or on beaches with you know line tangled all up in their in their wings so like you know do your part clean up after yourself and clean up after others that haven't done their yeah. parts so. shout out to the kid and his dad he goes to bishop o'connell they were just cleaning up in chain bridge yesterday yeah that's awesome he yeah. caught a marlin in guatemala he was telling me oh really yeah. on the fly or just i don't think so yeah but either way a marlin sweet. sweet yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I carry, like, trash bags with me. I mean, I, I can't say I'm not going to claim that every time I go fishing I pick up trash, but, you know, 
if I have them on me, at least if I see something, I can, you know, throw. Right. You know, yeah. Definitely line. If I see line or, you know, I'm not always going to, like, dig up a tire that's half buried in the stream or something. But if I see line or old fishing rusty hooks or something, I always take them out with me if I can. You ever find anything that's keepable? Cool seashell? Yeah, so I find, like, I found tons of flies, obviously, and I found lures, like spin fishing lures. I've found a rod and a reel once that must have gotten washed down, like, from a tidal creek kind of down to the beach. It wasn't really usable. I could have probably salvaged the rod, but I just I just threw it out. But my buddy just recently, pretty popular spot here in the D.C. metro area, found, like, a $200 pair of uh, pliers. I forget what manufacturer, but one of those, you know, like, those machined aluminum. The ones I want? Yeah, the ones you want, that you know, Velcro yeah. on your pocket. Not yeah, you just $29 online purchase. Yeah. I, I want real good pliers. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have a good pair of pliers. Mine are a little, like jacked right now good pair of nippers good pair of pliers good pair of hemostats um yeah and if you tie flies which i'm finally getting back into i haven't tied for the for a while you need a good pair of scissors yeah man we'll have you down to pick out some stuff sweet sweet yeah i'll get you get you a cape or two some saddles awesome you missed it all by like a week or two (laughs) I, i literally was just like i have way too much stuff and i just put boxes of stuff there was some crazy rare i had a blue pheasant crazy stuff that it's cool to have i might use it probably not doing this for 30 years so i was just some guy from tpfr picked it up yeah just had to get rid of it and just yeah yeah probably 100 flies all i'm tying now is just uh saltwater stuff so like big streamers let's uh, go to talk about your flies then based on so we're still in jersey as we move south yeah yeah so talk about your I've been jumping around a bit much, I guess. I'm trying to keep you in line. Yeah, I appreciate that. So in Jersey, I always carry a a spin rod and a a, uh, fly rod. You know, sometimes it's tough to find the fish, and you can throw your arm out all day casting a a fly rod. So I'll, you know, haul out, you know, cast, fan casts as I move down the beach with the spin rod and just try to find a moving school of fish or or bait or see what's going on before I start uh, casting the fly rod. But it's, for me, it's almost always trying to mimic bait, bait fish. I'm, I'm not throwing crab patterns or shrimp patterns or anything like that. Bait fish patterns anywhere between like three inches, like a variation on a clouser minnow, all the way up to eight inches. You know, a variation on like a bunker or, um, you know, something of, something of that nature. And, you know, my, my good friend tied a bunch of the flies uh, for me, my saltwater stuff, like early on. And now that I'm kind of getting back into tying, I, I'm basing a lot of my variations off of stuff he's done. I'm going to get you one of Anthony Lombardo's flies that he uses up in Cape Cod. Sweet. In the canal. Yeah. I I'm familiar. Take... That'd be sweet. Yeah. I want to use those on the Occoquan. We were supposed to go out on Saturday, but it's still really windy. Yeah. There were bird nests in all these trees, and they're no, the nests are not even on the ground. Yeah, they I know. completely I, got obliterated. I planted a new tree that kind of got uh, obliterated by the wind, but I think, it'll, I think it'll survive, but hopefully. But getting back to flies, you know, I, sometimes, you know, the biggest fish are going to be looking at a really slender, small-profile fly. Um, so I try to make sure I have kind of everything across the gamut of what I could need. Um, so sometimes they're going to want a really sparse clouser pattern, like with a very little bit of bucktail material on it, just like a very thin profile, 
three inch fly with a small um, dumbbell eye or sometimes unweighted if you're throwing like a sinking line or something. But then the larger flies that I use, and a lot of them my buddy still ties for me, just have a lot of movement. You know, it's all about a nice profile, pushing a good amount of water, um, but then, you know, that in that back section of the fly, you know, using, you know, feathers or, or just as many materials as you can put in that just give that movement as it's kind of holding in the current or if you're swinging it across the current, that fly is still kind of shimmering and, you know, shaking in the current. And then tons of flash for stripers usually, you know, they're, they, ha they have good eyesight, you know, they can also feel things in the water really well and, and just sense movement and vibration. So again, movement and just something that's going to catch their eye is usually what I'm looking for. And then for top water flies, again, push as much water as you can. So like big foam, you know, cone head poppers, deer hair poppers would probably work really well. Remember when that crease fly came out? Yeah. Man, those those things were nuts down at the Outer Banks, Harper's yeah. Island. Yep. Yeah, because they just, they throw up a bunch of water and make yeah. a lot of commotion. I think the only one I ever fished was the one that big seagull ate, and the hook went right through the beak. Yeah. Everyone yeah. was laughing at me. <laughs> well, yeah, seagulls are eating it then. That's before, that was when the beach closed so you could fish, and it was just people drinking. Yeah. So it was just people drinking and watching. Yeah. Before cameras on cell phones and white claws. Yeah. So, yeah. It's funny that you say the, the, uh, the seagull eat your fly. Cause I tend to think if like a seagull is willing to eat your fly, it's a, it's a good tie yeah. for striped bass. Cause the stripers I tend to find are, if they're there, they're going to be less picky than the, than the seagulls. Uh, the seagulls will see something about your fly or your lure and, and maybe like take a second guess. But the stripers, if you're throwing out a bunch of commotion and just walking a, a uh, popper or a... You ever do the Bish Rats pole dancer? It's a $14 fly. Yeah, I don't do $14 flies very often, but maybe maybe I should. Yeah. I need to sell $14 flies. Yeah. Well, One of the years I was at the fly fishing show, the guy next to me was selling flies at 20 bucks a pop. Yeah. There was nothing about them. They were just striper flies that were 16 inches long. Yeah. On a four-aught hook. Yeah, I mean, there the, the materials nothing. for that probably cost. Oh, no. No? This, no. I mean, the hook probably cost. Nothing, man. The majority yeah. of it. He left his whole kit. I might still have it. I don't know. But it was just huge hooks and some flash and some kind of synthetic hair. $3 a pack. You yeah. probably tie two or three flies. And 20 well, bucks. Start selling them. Because, like, the striper fishing community is, is a crazy bunch of people <laughs> in a good way. But, like, you know, my buddy just started or, uh, building, like, wood plugs. Like, he's, like, you know. Turning them. Yeah, turning them, painting them. And the amount of people messaging him to buy really? these for top dollar you know and the surf casting community and the fly fishing community that that surf casts for striped bass or, give him a plug no no pun intended well yeah i'll give him a plug he'll appreciate that uh blue tail custom plugs on instagram yeah. careful that could come out wrong blue tail custom plugs so i can tell you he's he's a pilot so i think his He's he's probably gonna like roll his eyes because I'm telling the story wrong. But I think like one of the planes he oh, flew. EC two Hawkeyes. What's that? That's an EC two Hawkeye at a Norfolk. Well, he he wasn't. He's a commercial pilot, right? And he's like a. No, that's like, our cousin flew. And that, oh, okay. Yeah, he died. It was. He'll know my cousin. Okay. He'll, he'll know uh, Albrecht. Okay. He mentioned that. All right, all right. I'll, I'll mention time. that. But yeah, so that's I think why he named it 
uh, his plug company, Blue Tail, because I think one of the planes he flew had a you know Blue Tail. But he makes some really really nice plugs. So reach out to him, tell him I sent you. Maybe I'll I'll get you a discount or something. <laughs> okay, what about your waders? Boot foot or uh, laces? Stocking foot with boots. Always have lugs when I'm anywhere around like rocks or jetties. Right now I'm wearing uh, like Reddington Sonic Pro waders. I go through a lot of waders, um, probably a pair a year. So I'm hoping this pair lasts me a little longer because I paid a little more. I just want uh, goop or whatever the UV epoxy they include just to make waders out of that. Oh, the, um, yeah, what do they call that? The UV stuff that yeah, comes in it? Yeah, um, why is it? I have so good. much of it at home because right. that's what I patch all my waders with. But I, When people return waders to Orbis, I'd always go and take the UV. It's called Aqua Seal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Aqua Seal. Yeah, that stuff's good, but it's better if you just find a good pair of waders that the seams don't leak as right. quickly as some others. But yeah, I like stocking foot all year. I won't wear neoprene. It's always breathable waders. Um, Are you warm enough out here? Yeah, it's fine all for right. me, yeah. Chris Campo froze a little bit. Oh, yeah? Well, he was here earlier in the year than I was. I kind of noticed he was shivering, and I told him we had a heater, but I just never really turned it on for him. Yeah. I did listen to his podcast, because the guys who can catch the big fish on the Potomac, like, you, you better listen. Right. Listen when they talk, because yeah, they've man. got knowledge that uh, you don't. But, yeah, so... What were you talking about? Waders. Waders. Yeah. So I'm always breathable waders, and I just layer up if it's cold. Like, don't like neoprenes. Don't wear boot foot. Um, it's always stocking foot with a nice pair of boots and lugs. I have one waiter, one pair of waders without lugs or boots without lugs and one with lugs. Haven't gone the way of corkers yet, but I like the idea of corkers. The corkers boots are great, but putting the old school corkers over your boots? Yeah. I have original crampons from Orbis. Oh, really? And they weigh five pounds, and you can't walk with them. Yeah. They're pretty bad. So I love my actual corkers boots that I can, like, I got my Salmon River huge cleats. Yeah, That's so what it, I wear on maybe my next pair of boots, I'll, yeah, man. I'll do corkers, but, um, but yeah, so. You can get a free, there's something free going on right now with a uh, free shirt, maybe, free bag oh, yeah? with corkers <clears throat> boots. All right. Yeah, man. All right, your line, what are you throwing? Yeah, so I have a bunch of different lines, but a lot of times I'm just throwing a, a really high quality floating line um, you can do a lot of damage on stripers with a floating line a lot of times they're willing to come up in the water column you don't have to dredge real deep to get them when they're on bait um, a lot of times I want to fish like a bait fish pattern and then quickly switch to a topwater pattern if something happens so I like um, scientific scientific anglers MPX line which is a half weight heavy so if you get the seven weight line it's kind of like a seven and a half loads your rod really quick um, and so that's what I'm using the majority of the time I also will fish like a sink tip line that only has like a eight or ten foot sink tip built into the front that'll be like three to five inches per second so it just gets you down you know three or four feet below the surface and then I do have like a depth charge line, like a, um, I think it's also scientific anglers, sonic or sonic depth or something. It's like a 30 foot sink tip on a floating running line. That'll get you down 15 or 20 feet. And I, I use that. Now. Yeah, I use that for shad too. Um, and then should I go right into rods? Yeah. You yeah. go extra long for the reach? No, I used to I used to have an extra long rod, and to be honest, for striped bass and any saltwater species, I really just like a nine foot rod through all weights. 
And so a lot of times I'll throw a six weight. Um, I've got like a six weight with a fighting butt. Some people call it like a salty six mm-hmm. or salty six weight. That's an Orvis rod that I love. It's super fast rod. I've got a lot of power in the butt section. And I'll throw that on the eastern shore of Maryland. I'll throw that in the back bays of New Jersey for striped bass. And I've landed fish up to, you know, probably 10, 10 plus pounds on that without too much trouble. Um, for me, it all, it's all about the reel. As long as your rod isn't going to break on you and it's got a pretty good backbone to it, you know, as long as you have a good drag, you can stop a bigger fish. But, you know, if I know there's big fish around, I'll bump up to a seven weight, an eight weight. I usually don't fish over an eight weight for striped bass. I, I just don't enjoy casting those heavier nine, ten weight rods um, all day. And so eight is about as heavy as I go. I can't remember the last time I took out my ten weight. Yeah, I just... I might have a nine. I think I do have a nine. Yeah. I would say my favorite is probably a seven weight. And then if there's like schoolies, you know, for those of you that don't know straight bass really well, you know, anything under this, this number will change whoever you talk to, but anything under like 24 inches call a schoolie, you know, they tend to school together. If you find one, you're bound to find more. If I'm fishing that class of fish, 24 inches and under six weight is pretty fun. Um, if I know there's going to be fish like 24 inches to 30 inches around, I'll throw the seven weight and then anything bigger than that. If, if I know there's a chance at like a fish over 15 pounds or right something, on. I'll, I'll fish an eight weight. Yeah, Big John from Oregon got his on a six weight a couple weeks ago. Sick. Oh, that, river. yeah, that was a nice That fish. was large dumbbell eyes <clears throat> with a pink crystal chenille wrap and like two inches of crystal flash out the back and at least six tag ends on that fly. Wow. Minimum of six. <laughs> so that... That was probably like a 28-inch fish. Yeah, or a, it, we didn't measure it. I, I, it was fat, though, 10 pounds probably. Yeah, I was yeah. just in awe. Everyone had to come and look. All the snakehead guys came over. Did that get you into your backing on the reel? or No. No? Yeah, Big John knew what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with stripers, like, they'll sometimes take a big, a big run right when you hook them. But if you can turn them and, you know, they fight really well. They're a lot of fun. But they're not like a albacore, false albacore or something where they're just going to burn drag all day. Um, the big ones will, but, you know. They're smelly. Stripers? All the, the stripers, the shad, the herring. Yeah, I'm guessing they're smelly because they're eating all that. But I sometimes I catch a striped bass and they don't smell too bad. So Yeah, when I used to go out to Kent Island 20-plus years ago, yeah. I'd come home, my whole car would just smell of stripers. That's a good place. You're you're giving everybody a good spot. I didn't where. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the thing about striped bass fishing. Like, I need to take my water master out there. Yeah. I call call there. me if you want to go. I just sold the canoe. I can't put it on the roof anymore. Is your water? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a canoe that I do a lot of striped bass fishing out of. And, like, you don't need a $3,000 pedal drive kayak to catch stripers. You don't even need a watercraft. But if you do, get a watercraft. You know, a good old, you know, cheap kayak or a... 14 15 foot canoe i throw a trolling motor on the back of mine to get around a little faster works just fine nice what about leader material length yeah so i will usually just fish like a eight to nine foot leader usually fluorocarbon if i'm planning on fishing subsurface we'll go to like a mono 
you know, mono or something if I'm going to fish topwater because fluoro sinks a bit and we'll, we'll drag your topwater presentation, you know, a little bit under sometimes. And I'm usually, you know, stripers aren't super line shy, 20 pound, like a section of like eight or nine foot liter, 20 pound. Any um, brand? Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I like Seaguar for my fluorocarbon. And if I'm putting it at the end of like a sink tip or something, uh, I'll shorten it to like a three foot liter or four foot liter, just like one piece, three foot piece of uh, fluorocarbon. Any droppers on the, the back, like something little, little rain bait, little snot fly? Yeah, you can, just like you would tie a dropper for trout fishing, you could tie a dropper fly onto like a, a bigger bait fish imitation and you could drop something smaller off the back. That would be fine. I usually don't. I, I did hear a couple weeks ago in New Jersey, a, a guy was fly fishing with two flies and caught two fish, got a double header, and the double header, I think they said, measured 54 inches total. So like wow. two pretty That's good fish. That's a big fish, fish nunchuck. On an eight weight. Wow, we got double perch all weekend and last week on fish nunchucks. Left yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you can do it. I just, I don't know. I, I'm fine catching one at a time. So. Right, There's less tangle, less hassle. Yeah, yeah, especially if it's windy and you tie on two flies, it can get, yeah. Do you ever fish Delaware? I have, I have not fished Delaware, but I know some guys who do and do really well. I think it's similar to like the style of fishing I do in the back bay in New Jersey. And then there's also parts of Delaware that are similar to like the eastern shore of Maryland. Right. Um, well, let's talk about Maryland. Yeah. One of my favorite places to fish for striped bass. So, you know, a lot of people like message me on Instagram. And if you do, I, I'll help you out. I'll, uh, I'll give you some tips and, and tell you, you know, some general look idea of where to go i'm never going to give you a pin to my uh, favorite spot or anything but i'll help you out so in maryland you know the chesapeake bay is a nursery for striped bass so you know the number varies but three quarters or more of the striped bass population on the entire east coast comes into the chesapeake bay to spawn too bad there's no more menhaden in there yeah and that that's a big issue um so striped bass for those of you that, that don't know are actually um considered overfished right now. Um, so the populations are down more than they've been in a couple decades and they're continuing to decline. Uh, and unfortunately, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of people were taking the big breeding females. And so we don't have a huge breeding stock of fish right now to help us replenish the younger fish. So, you know, I'll take a moment now to just like plead with anybody that fishes for striped bass, like take care of the fish you catch, uh, release them healthy, you know, consider strongly whether you need to harvest a fish or you want to harvest a fish. Maybe there's a different species of fish you can harvest for now. You know, the striped bass need to recover over the next five to 10 years for us to have fisheries for our children to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, Maryland's a great place to fish for striped bass. There are, you know, fish that stay here year round, like mostly the younger fish. So, you know, one year old to five year old fish, which might measure up to 28 or 30 inches. And then the big fish, you know, the big 45-inch fish that you see guys at 
on the Potomac catch every once in a while and you see people trolling for in the spring, they're coming in in March into the bay. Then they're running up into the feeder creeks of the bay. Do you ever do Conowingo Dam? I've never fished there. I stop there all the time. And my, my good friend, you know, Andrew Sarsonello, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. His, I think his dad used to work at the fish ladder on the Conowingo. And so he would help to keep the snakeheads out of there. Right yeah, pro- yeah, I know. But I he was would, just told they're in the Monocacy. The snakeheads? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. So they have to be in the Upper Potomac. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. They've got to be everywhere at this point. But he, he, I, Andrew's told me some stories about, like, the massive striped bass that get into that fish ladder. But, you know, the Susquehanna Flats right below the, the dam is, like, another big spawning area for right. striped bass. And so the bay is a great place to fish for striped bass because of the fact that all the striped bass spawn there. And so I tell people any tidal river or tidal waterway that flows into the bay or the bay itself, you have a very good chance of finding striped bass at some point in the year. Um, So the Potomac, let's take the Potomac, for example. You know, there had been striped bass in the Potomac feeding on shad ever since probably early March this year, Mm -hmm. maybe even late February. And then now we'll start seeing smaller striped bass and then surprise we haven't caught us other than that monster yeah we haven't we haven't caught a single striper this year yeah today maybe with this overcast i'm hoping it's overcast like this tomorrow yeah but like in june normally they're it's coming like in like 16 10 to 16 inch fish yeah, like every cast uh, right uh, alex mccracken from the y down i want to say it was 72 stripers in under two hours every time he'd go to roll cast uh, Itty bitty schoolie, like yep. six to ten, would just come up and grab the damsel. And I just said, we got to put on something big. And they were still trying to eat clousers. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, like, encourage you, if you guys have only ever fished for trout or, or largemouth bass or something, I encourage you to go out and try to catch some striped bass because they fight hard. If you find them, they're usually willing to eat, and they're a, they're a blast to catch. I mean... I mean, you said, like, when you guys caught that big one a couple weeks ago, like, everybody on the river was coming to take yeah. a look. Like, they're a, they're a fun fish, and people know, you know, how fun they are to catch. So people take note when you catch one. But, yeah, I, I, I encourage anybody in Maryland to take a shot and go out there, find a place with some good current or a good tidal flow. Structure, as we talked about earlier, does, not, does not hurt. Bridges, yeah. I love a good bridge. Yeah, especially in the day and dark at night. Yeah, a bridge that has, like, narrows the current or narrows the river or the creek. Lights. Um, Lights. Yeah, lights at night are always good. And as Rob just kind of hinted to, overcast. That's another thing that can shut off a striped bass bite pretty quick is, like, bright sun right overhead. So if you get, like, a rainy, cloudy, misty day, like, you're thinking striped bass on a Mm -hmm. day like that. Yeah. Low barometer, drizzle, moving tide, dusk. I'm never a morning striper guy. Really? I don't go out like Dan Devalo go out before dawn. You know the sun's going to rise. It's going to turn off. Right. But at that point, you need to be getting to work anyway. Yep. But I just, I'm not a, a morning guy. Yeah, Maybe. if I have off work or if it's going to be a cloudy day, morning can be really good. Because as you said, like the sun comes up, the bite will turn off. But if it's going to be like a thick, cloudy day and it's raining all day, that bite in the morning can just stretch on till lunch, you know, right. um, especially if you have the right tides. But yeah, I mean, striped bass are like, you know, 
you're not looking for the bluebird day where it's 75 degrees and a light breeze and it's just a beautiful day to be out fishing like usually for striper you're going to be a little uncomfortable when you're standing you know not catching but once you start catching you'll forget all about the weather are you fishing around like ocean city in maryland yeah yeah so i i stent i tend to stay on like the the bay side okay so the eastern shore of maryland like um, Cambridge, all the way down to like Tan- Tangier Sound, uh, Crisfield area. Did you ever listen to my interview with Lefty when he said we had a Model T? It was taking four hours to go all the way around Baltimore to Delaware before the bridge was built. Yeah. It was, an, it was half a day just to get to the fishing spot. Yeah, and so now, you know, with the bridge, you can get to the spots. I don't like that bridge. Yeah, I hate that bridge. And they didn't build it big enough, so they're going to build another bridge. So there'll be three bay bridges eventually. We were coming back the day the truck went off. Oh, really? We left Ocean City at 9 in the morning and got back to Annandale around 8 p.m. seems to happen like once every year or two that a truck, unfortunately. Yeah. It's like the winds get really bad. I don't remember that specific instance. The girl fell asleep on the way home from the rehearsal dinner. Yeah and hit the truck driver he went over and died yeah and we just saw the the tractor the actual truck part was underwater and the tractor trailer was just sticking out yeah it's crazy yeah, so then everyone a, had to slow down and look at that when it's one way in each direction only on one bridge right if i lived around that area on ken island i'd be out there selling cold drinks to everybody <laughs> yeah in so the traffic hot. jam yeah and this was before gps and cars and smartphones we only knew how to get home on the bay bridge yeah didn't know how to go through delaware yep yeah the bay bridge is something like when i go over to fish on the eastern shore i'm usually like trying to get back over the bay bridge before you know the rush hour and trying to avoid sundays that kind of thing but um the eastern shore is a great kind of shallow water striped bass fishery almost all year round and you get mixed in some really cool species there'll be redfish you know puppy drum red drum over there There'll be uh, spotted speckled trout, um, which is which is pretty cool. And so, mostly I'm targeting creeks that flow into the bay, that are grassy, have mud flats. Um, the more bends and twists and turns a creek has, usually the better for striped bass. As I mentioned earlier, like they'll set up on those little bends in the creek. Like Dawson's Creek. Yeah, like Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can you can catch a hundred fish a day. Um, and bass I, thumb. Yeah, and get the bass thumb. You can catch them top water. You can catch them on little clousers. You just start mixing it up. Like, what am I going to catch it on? Next? Yeah, just to have fun, you know. And there's some big fish that you can turn up over there. Um, I don't think I've caught them bigger than thirty inches in those creeks, but they can get pretty big. I mean, but normally you're looking at a sixteen inch fish being your average. You get one over twenty. It's a lot of fun. Right. Um, but there's days where you'll get 40 stripers, 40 speckled trout, and 20, 10 or 20 red drum. What's something you catch that you don't want to catch? Sea robins? Bluefish. Lizardfish. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you catch like, uh, I guess they call them needlefish. I hate needlefish. Um, Trying liz- to lizard, that to my client. Yeah. Lizardfish. I've gotten bit They're by annoying. a lizardfish. Those, that's Those painful. Always eat. But needlefish, you grab them, they turn around and bite you. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. So I learned you throw my professor in college. I wish I had like he would probably with a string or a rope. He would catch a snake by the tail and throw it under his leg so the snake's head is back here. He would slowly pull the tail like this and then just grab. Uh, so I learned to throw the needlefish in between my waders and pinch them 
and then grab them by the head, and then they can't bite me. Uh, that's smart. I just try to avoid them. Like, I, if I see a needlefish, oh, yeah. like, I'll just try get to strip it. Yeah, get the fly out of there. Um, but, uh, yeah, lizard fish aren't a lot of fun on the fly. Bluefish will, you know, sometimes bite you off, and then you'll lose a good fly. Although I love catching bluefish on the fly, but the ones you find in the Chesapeake Bay are, you know, what they call snapper blues. They're, you know, one, two, three pounds usually, sometimes bigger. But in Jersey, you know, you can catch 10 to 15-pound bluefish. Uh, mixed in with stripers sometimes and and the fun thing is like the little stripers are bluefish bait so you, they'll stop biting and usually it'll be like decent stripers 20 plus inches mixed with decent bluefish and you can have a lot of fun right on yeah but yeah so i take my canoe over to the eastern shore i said i slap a trolling motor on the back of it so i can cover like miles of water without having to paddle too much and just hit all these little tidal creeks. There's tons of them. I mean, if you look at the eastern shore, like a map of the eastern shore, you know, starting from Kent, Kent Island, where you were talking about, all the way down to where Maryland becomes Virginia on the eastern shore. Any any spot you see that has a tidal creek with some grass and some mud and some bends, you're, you're going to find striped bass. I mean, compared to trout fishing, when you're going out to the mountains, you got a lot more gear than. Going striper fishing? Yeah, I mean, I think I I like to be a little more prepared when I'm going striper fishing because I'll leave the car for hours on end. Sometimes when I'm in the mountains, like, you know, I'll have a couple different spots in the back of my pocket. You know, like if this stream doesn't produce or if things aren't happening here, I'll go back and hit another stream. For stripers, I usually am like all in because I'm going to get in my canoe and then motor five miles from the launch to like the creek I want to hit. And so you're kind of committed all day. So I'll pack like the, you know, several different food options, tons of water. I have like multiple batteries for the trolling motor. I've got my rain gear. I've got usually a spin rod sometimes. So I have the gear for the spin rod too. Then I'll have like two or three fly rods in case you get into big fish, you need the eight weight and then I'll take the six weight. And then with trout fishing, usually I know like I'm going to be fishing the five weight or the four weight. You know, I'm going to be fishing dry flies, so I bring that box and I leave the rest behind in the car. Or I'm going to be fishing streamers, which is more often than not, it seems. So I'll leave the dry flies behind in the car. So actually, I'd say I pack heavier for striped bass, but I probably don't need to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else about stripers before we just move on to some silliness? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I wanted to... I already touched on kind of conservation and kind of where the striped bass are currently, uh, but I encourage a lot of folks to like look up for themselves kind of the, you know, what striped bass are facing right now. It's, it's one of the most sought after species on the East Coast, especially up through like New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, and the, the species has been fished pretty heavily over the last decade or so, and the numbers are, are pretty low. And so there's a there's a group that kind of regulates striped bass up and down the coast, but each state kind of sets their own, you know, regulations. So there's like a recommending board that recommends regulations, and then the states kind of choose to abide by them or kind of make their own rules. And so they're coming out with an amendment um, to how striped bass are managed, and I'm hoping it's going to be pretty aggressive to trying to rebuild the stock. So if you look up... The AS, let me get this right, Atlantic States Fisheries 
or Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, ASFMFC, ASMFC. There we go. And you type in uh, striped bass or Amendment 7, you can read all about what they're proposing for striped bass fisheries. Mostly it's, you know, cutting quotas, um, reducing the amount it's commercial of commercial fishing. It's not people with rod and reel. I mean, it's not good, but yeah, it's trawler nets. Yeah, I mean, in, in the Chesapeake food. Bay, there's a big commercial fishery that definitely has a big bycatch. There's gill netting. There's, you know, trawlers. Obviously, um, the Menhaden is a totally different topic where, like, the Menhaden have been overfished, and that's the primary food source for the striped bass in the bay. So it's an interconnected issue. But the recreational side, you know, obviously there's a ton of people still keeping fish, um, and that, you know, it's their, you know, they're legally allowed to do so, and that that's fine and good. But there's also a lot of fish that are dying due to catch and release. So the amount of people that are targeting striped bass, fish are getting released and dying after release, and a lot of times that can be prevented. So I try to tell people, crush your barbs. If you don't need a treble, treble like a treble hook, go to a single hook, especially for like a plug if you're spin fishing. You know, fly fishermen can crush their barbs pretty easily. If the water temperatures are above 70 or 75 degrees, keep the fish in the water if, if you don't, you know, need to take them out for some odd reason. Take your photos quick if you want to take a photo and then give the fish time to revive themselves. You know, they're battling just as hard as you are to try to bring them in. They're battling to try to not be brought in. And once they get to the net or, or once they get to hand, they're pretty tired. So give them a second before you throw them back in. And I think if we can increase, right now they're saying like 9% of fish that are caught and then released end up dying. And if you're catching and releasing millions upon millions of fish, that number adds up pretty quick. Right. But studies have shown with, you know, proper handling, not targeting fish when the water is 80 degrees, crushing your barbs, not deep hooking with treble hooks, that number can be as low as 1% of fish. So one in every hundred fish caught and released could survive to be caught and released another day. And, that, and those are the kind of numbers that I think we want to see. So if you do go out looking for striped bass, like enjoy the fishery. It's an awesome fishery, but like respect the fish and understand that like we have a long way to go for them to be like fully recovered as a, uh, as a species. So right. I just wanted to get that in before Heck the yeah. end. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, what did you do for your 21st birthday? Do you remember? Yeah. So I had just gotten back from New Zealand. And I noticed your shirt. The mic is blocking. And I leaned over and I was like, oh, he's got an all black shirt. Yeah. I have an all black shirt on. So who, forever, whoever doesn't know what the, who the all blacks are, they're the rugby team in New Zealand. And they're like, the best, one of the best rugby teams in the world, probably. But yeah, my 21st birthday was right after I got back from New Zealand. I had already been legal age to drink the whole time I was living in New Zealand. So that wasn't really a, uh, a new thing for me. But I went out to the bar in bars in Westchester, Pennsylvania with some friends. Didn't see Bam Margera or any of those guys. Yeah, hung out with some good friends, mostly high school buddies at the time from my hometown. And then went back up to Penn State and enjoyed my being 21 in Penn State. And Did you go to the, get the rabbit burger? Oh, yeah, always. Anytime go. I pass Red Rabbit, I get the burger. Is there a fishing book that you haven't found yet that you want to read? That I haven't found yet that yeah. I want to read. So if I could make up the book. No, like if there's a book out there, you just haven't got your Yeah, book. I mean, I don't read a ton, to be honest. Like books. You know, I, I've, read, I've read some fishing books, but a lot of times I'm like perusing forums and blogs and you know reading 
you know, publications online digitally. Uh, I'm about to inherit another collection. Oh yeah. Books. Okay. Well, I don't know what's going to be in there. I'm kind of excited. Yeah. I mean, once TPFR starts up and we can do these beer books. ties again, you, books are a common giveaway item yeah. at uh, beer ties. So if you want some books, make sure you come out to beer tie. Uh, if you had a choice between beach or mountains, you can only fish one salt or fresh. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been converted. I'm, I'm, I'm a salt guy probably. Um, I love fishing trout in the mountains, but Saltwater has so many species. They pull hard. They fight hard. They hit big, beefy streamer patterns. It's, yeah, it's a blast. If you only had one soup to eat for the rest of your life. Ooh. New England clam chowder, probably. Is there an item you need to complete your fishing tackle collection? Something you need, though. Something I need. Yeah, that's a good question. For a while, it was a stripping basket. I, I like was I was like anti-stripping basket, but a couple fly lines getting ruined later. I, and now I'm using a stripping basket. You know, I'd like to add like a heavier weight fly rod for musky or or some big. You know, would we put that under an item you want? So you're talking like need, like yeah. Well, the next that, question is what What do you want? What do I want? Yeah. Like, so, I want a 40 horsepower. I don't need okay. one because I don't really leave the no-wig zones. But man, if I could get my boat up to Fletcher's whenever I want, yeah, life would be different having my boat up there. I think I'm going to leave the heavier fly rod in the knee. Damn it! I pulled them! What is that, a, a bunny? A, yeah, I said, you take that piece of wood away from the fence and it's going to get in. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah well, I know where he's going right now. If you listen to the last podcast about our handyman... Uh, all I'm going to say is he did it again today. That's all I'm saying. I'll tell Evan afterwards. So I don't yeah. gross him out. There's something in the yard that will eat all of Rob's beautiful crops. Let's just say he's headed toward a pile of fertilizer. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll leave the – so back to the what I need and what I want. I'll leave the big rod, the 9, 10, 11, 12 weight, like a good rod in that upper weight category. I'll leave that in the need because I, I don't have one currently that I like throwing, that I'm co- confident to throw. So I'll leave that in the need. That's probably the next thing I'll buy. The one, I think you, you hinted towards it. Flyers. No, it's when you said 40 horsepower. Like yeah. I want a, a boat that's bigger than a canoe that can get me around faster than a canoe. My neighbors have got a John boat with a 9.9 Mercury and trailer. for. I tried to sell for 3000 last year. Oh, so they're selling yeah, if anybody okay. wants well, it, put me if in, I yeah. can sell it, I get something on commission from that. Oh, so, nice. Okay. Yes. He got his knees done. He can't really climb in and out. And the boat's in immaculate condition. You'll have to send me some pictures of it. Because, I mean, that that's the kind of thing I'm looking to step into from a just canoe. A just green like, 16-foot John boat. Yeah. With, with the motor. With an outboard and a yeah. trailer. Oh, yeah. It's, it's ready to go. Yeah, so. And it's always covered with a tarp. It hasn't moved since we moved in. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of what I'm looking for. I mean, someday I'm going to have, like, either the flats boat or, you know, something that I can – because you can flats fish in Maryland. I mean, you can yeah. put a flats boat to use oh, in we've Maryland. We've so. taking a flats boat on the Potomac, four-mile run. Yeah. And then our friend Steve had to move west. Yeah. Took the boat with him. Yep. All right. Uh, what's what's going to give you that moment of zen when you're in the salt water? When you're just like, man, I, there's no other place I'd rather be right now. Yeah, I mean, if you can find a good, like, bite, no matter what species of fish, and there's nobody around, when you turn your head in either direction, that's like the moment of zen. Like, 
over, especially during the pandemic, fishing has become really popular and that's great, but it's really hard to find that moment of Zen on saltwater anymore. I mean, there's so, so, there's so many people that have access to saltwater. You can do it in Maryland a bit on the Eastern shore. What about a nude beach? Would you ever go where there's fewer people maybe? Would you go nude? I mean, I've been to nude beaches where I'm clothed and fished. That's you just probably have to what, watch your back tanks. That's probably what I'd do is be clothed and fish on a nude beach. Yeah. But because as I said, if you if you look up my photo, you'll see I'm pretty fair skinned. So I, nude beach doesn't right. bode well. It's not the nude factor; Art. it's the sun factor there. Yeah. Okay. What's your best striper on the fly? Yeah. So one I most don't, memorable one. Yeah, I can I can do both. I mean, I don't I never measure. Again, going back to like the conservation on striped bass, I don't measure or weigh my fish. Um, sometimes I'll do the quick like hand measurement that people do, you know, the distance between your thumb and your pinky. So I think my best fish on a uh, fly striper is like between 29 and 31 inches. Fat fish that had just been feeding heavily. It's probably one of my most memorable. It hit to- a topwater fly, just fought really hard, took a bunch of drag. So that's a really good one. Um, super memorable. That was in Maryland. That was the upper Chesapeake Bay on a uh, tidal tributary. Um, so a place that a lot of people listening to this podcast probably have access to. Um, so go out there, look, you know, that was last fall. So there, you know, there's good fishing to be had. So that was super memorable. And I just probably three weeks ago, two weeks ago, um, caught a really nice striped bass in uh, Southern Jersey on the fly. Uh, it was a fly that I had tied, uh, a new pattern I had tried, bunch of material, pretty decent sized fly. And it was just really cool to catch a, it was probably like a 27, 28 inch striper, took a bunch of, of drag. Um, I was like wading into my chest. Yeah, a lot of fun. But the coolest part was that it, it ate a fly that I didn't know if anything would eat. Um, so that, that was pretty cool. Um, what about the one that, that got away? Doesn't have to be a striper. Is there one fish that you're still bitter about? I'm still angry about my honeymoon when the guy said, where we're going, there's no fish and there's no room in the boat for your gear and we get there and there's trigger fish. I mean, is I put my arms out like I'm hugging someone huge. And they're that big. Yep. And they're eating potato chips and tomato slices off the surface. I could have just dropped any fly in there and hooked a 20-pound fish. 18 years later, yeah. I'm still pissed. Yeah, I mean, I luckily I, I've been really lucky to land a lot of memorable fish that help you forget about the ones that got away. There's been some big brown trout that I've hooked, you know, not saltwater that I've busted off or have gotten underneath a rock ledge or something and busted me off that I would love to to have back. Saltwater. I, I've missed some shots at redfish down south. You know, I did catch a nice red finally on my honeymoon. My wife was nice enough to let me go out with a guide, and we put a really nice red, probably like a 28-inch red, in the boat on the fly. And that was my first red fish on the fly, but that was after missing a ton of shots, breaking off a couple fish. So I'd say that's one species I want to go after more, and and they kind of haunt me, you know, the ones I've, I've lost. Yeah, there's probably numerous other fish. My friends that'll listen to this are probably thinking of like so many fish I've broken off when I'm in their presence. And they're like, why isn't he telling that story? But luckily, the, the good fish I catch usually help me forget about the fish I've, I've missed. Last question. Yeah. Let's say you are on the beach and you find some pirate's booty. 
Some doubloons. Okay. So money's not an option. Where is the bucket list epitome Valhalla striper destination for you? Like the Sacramento Delta, Montauk, Flatsboat. Where's your ideal? Like that's the place I want to do it. Yeah, it, it's wherever. It's probably like northeast somewhere. Could be Montauk, Flatsboat. But even that's getting more and more crowded. I mean, I want to go where like I'm catching fish and there's nobody nobody around except for like the guide or whoever I'm with and uh and myself you need a time machine yeah I know go back yeah go back in time there's a reason that people are chasing striped bass so much now because they're hell of a lot of fun Um, but it's yeah it's crowds pretty much everywhere you go in in like Jersey New York um but it would probably be that my like my destination if I didn't have to go after striper would probably be somewhere tropical it'd be like Going after bonefish or permit, tarpon. I mean, those are three species I haven't caught yet on the fly. So, like, they're up there. Neither have I. Yeah, well. All right, where can we find you on Instagram? Yeah, DC Flyfish on Instagram. I also have a website that I haven't been keeping up with as much, um, but called Surf to Stream Fishing. Um, Wrote a lot on there. There's a lot of great information there. The first year the website was up, I wrote... You know, and some other of my friends wrote articles probably, you know, twice a week. So there's stuff on striped bass, there's stuff on smallmouth, trout, uh, speckled trout, redfish. So if you're looking for information, I still have the website up. You can link to it from my Instagram, DC Flyfish. Um, but check that out if you're looking for info or you want some, like, tips. And I've got fly recommendations and patterns and other stuff on there. Right on. All right, man, let's go uh, pick out some fly time material. Sweet. We're going to go through the house because there's a pile if we go around the back. Okay. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.